In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, today is the second Sunday of the Coptic month of Sut. And <coughs> we read this morning from the Gospel of St. Luke, which is relating to us the, the event of our Lord sending out um, his apostles, the 70 apostles, into the mission field. And he sent them two by two into various villages in order to preach the word of God and to heal the sick and to cast out demons for those who, who were demon-possessed. And the gospel passage that we read together this morning begins after they came back and shared with the Lord their experiences. So I want just to read the passage that takes place just before the reading that we, we just heard together. It comes to us in the gospel of St. Luke chapter 10, verses um, the reading that we had was 21 through 28, but this is, these are the few verses just before that. St. Luke tells us, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And then the gospel begins that we read together. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. So the disciples, the apostles have come back from a very uh, exciting for them uh, mission trip in which they witnessed the power of the name of Christ at their hands and they're like children sort of coming back home from a school day and sharing with their father or their mother um, all the exciting things that happened at school that day. And you can sort of picture this scene where the, where the apostles are coming back and they're saying, Lord, you won't believe what happened to us. And the smile on the Lord's face as he says to them, tell me what happened. And they said, Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And you can s almost sense the Lord smiling at them and nodding his head, listening to them, very excited uh, on their behalf. And, and as we read in the gospel, rejoicing in the spirit, the gospel tells us. But then he says to them, but don't be excited and rejoice over the fact that the demons were subject to you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. Um, so I want to just kind of go through the gospel this morning and, and, and speak about this theme of joy. But first, I think um, something that should sort of stand out to us at, at the very beginning is this sort of intimacy between the apostles and the Lord that is sort of a, a symbol for us or an image for us of our prayer life. We also, like the apostles, need at the end of our day and at the beginning of our day to come to the Lord and share with him everything that's happening in our lives. We want to tell him about our joys and our sorrows. We want to open our hearts to him as children who have come back from school excited to relate to our father, our mother, all that's happened to us, the good and the bad. And so we see in this very simple picture, this childlike attitude of the apostles. They came and they opened their hearts to the Lord, sharing with him what they experienced. And the, the uh, um, response of the Lord shows that 
in prayer, we receive enlightenment. We receive correction. We receive guidance because as they are sharing this experience with the Lord, he gently sort of corrects them, redirects them and says, you know, turn your joy away from the supernatural experience to the, to the true joy of being children of your heavenly father and having eternal life. And so the same thing happens with us. When we go to the Lord in prayer, we tell him about all of the things that are, uh, we're afraid of, that we are anxious about, that we're happy about. And we receive from him, even through a subtle nudge of the Holy Spirit, how to go about dealing with these problems, how to go about entrusting ourselves to these uh, concerns, how to reshape the outlook of our life. And this is one of the great gifts of prayer, is that prayer is not just about sort of moving the will of God to accomplish our will, but it is rather that we, in prayer, learn to align our will with his will. We learn to love his will. We learn to accept the correction that he gives us through, again, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so another beautiful point that we see in this encounter is that the disciples in sort of their exuberation and this exaltation that they are experiencing, they're telling the Lord as if it's something he's not aware of. Again, like, like children coming home from school saying, you won't believe what happened today. The difference, of course, is that as parents, we, we probably don't know what happened to our child at school that day. But the Lord reminds them that at every moment of their mission trip, at every moment of their lives, and most importantly, every moment of our lives, he sees everything. And that's why he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. It seems almost like this verse is kind of out of place. What has, you know, some people um, interpret this as sort of the fall, the, the fall of Satan, the, arch, the, the archangel Lucifer from, from heaven. But in the context of what's taking place here, what he's actually saying is that every time you cast out a demon, I saw the power of darkness, you know, defeated. I saw Satan fall. I saw his pride crushed. I was there with you. I witnessed everything there with you. I saw everything, and I was rejoicing with you in that moment. So when we come to the Lord with our concerns and with our petitions and with all of our um, fears and anxieties, we also have to be certain that he says to us the same thing. I was there with you. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I was witnessing the power of darkness in its, in its demise. And so this is a nice little picture for us about the dialogue that takes place between the soul and the Lord in prayer. But again, the important thing is not the power that they had to cast out demons. St. Cyril of Alexandria, he says, the authority that they carried to rebuke evil spirits and the power of crushing Satan was not given to them that they might be regarded with admiration. It was given to them so that Christ would be glorified by their means. So again, there's, there's a subtle danger that the apostles perhaps are starting to think a little bit highly of themselves. Perhaps they're starting to think that they are distinct from other people because of these gifts that they have been given to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And so 
the Lord also wants to remind them that this is not yours. These are my gifts. These are heavenly gifts. And they can be given and they can be taken. And you didn't earn them. And you don't receive them as rewards of, of righteousness and piety. But that these are given to you specifically so that my name might be glorified, that I might be known in all of the ends of the world. And so, again, we need sort of this correction in our lives. We need this adjustment in our lives so that we also can be humbled and that we can also be corrected from our misguided um, our misguided hopes and, and ideas about ourselves and about our spiritual lives. And the gospel says that in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. The Lord Jesus was full of joy. And the joy, again, was not that they were casting out demons and healing the sick, but the joy was that he saw their faith. He saw that they were turning to him as children, and they were receiving from him his word, and that they were living and abiding in his word, and this was the greatest joy. This is the greatest joy that we give to the Lord. When we say, as we're going to read in the gospel, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see and have not seen and to hear what you hear and have not heard. So the Lord rejoices when, when, we, when we receive that sight and that, and that hearing that he gives us, that enlightenment, that light of faith and the words of, of eternal life, the words of the gospel. And so his joy is not that they were powerful in the mission field. His joy is that they turned to him in faith, they received that childlike faith from him, and they were abiding in his word. And so they stand in contrast to what the gospel today speaks about those who are, um, you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. Of course, the Lord is not speaking against wisdom because much of the Bible speaks about the importance of divine wisdom, heavenly wisdom. But he's talking about the wisdom of this world, those who are wise in their own minds, those who are wise apart from God. And so he, he distinguishes this childlike faith and humility of the disciples in contrast to the wise and the prudent of this world. And so he says to he rejoices in the spirit and he says, I thank you, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. That is, you have revealed them to those who are simple and pure and have that childlike stance to receive the word, to see it and to hear it. So this is the joy that we give the Lord when we hear his word, when we are enlightened by his gospel, by his commandments. This is what causes the Lord's heart to leap with joy. And that word in the, in the, that we say in the litany of the gospel, which we take from the gospel of St. Luke here, many prophets and kings or, or righteous men have desired to see what you see. That word desire is a very strong word in the Greek. The word in Greek is epithumia. Epithumia doesn't mean just sort of a desire in, 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 in a lesser sense, but it means a desire that one has set his whole heart upon. It's, 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 it's an intense desire that could almost be likened to a strong lust. The, the saints are those who, in a sense, lusted after God in the same way that a carnal person lusts after the flesh or the sins of the flesh or the pleasures of the flesh. So that intense desire that can cause somebody to commit irrational acts by their lust is that same intense desire that he's speaking about here. 
And he's saying to the disciples and he's saying to each of us that there are many over the last thousands of years who had that great longing, that great lust, if you will, to see me and to hear from me and to be enlightened with the revelation of the truth. But it's been given to you. It's been given to you, this simple fisherman of Galilee, this simple, um, according to the world, perhaps unwise and imprudent and uneducated, simple fisherman. It's been given to you to see and to possess that which all of the saints of the past have longed for. And that's why also St. Peter in his epistle in the New Testament, he says, of this salvation, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, things which angels desire to look into. That again, things that angels desire to look into, desire, again, that word epithumia. That is, even the angels were not given that which has been given to these simple fishermen and to us. So man searches and hopes and longs and desires. And there is a moment in which God visits his people, not just in the incarnation, but there is a moment in each of our lives when that intense desire meets the visitation of God. And the, the more we desire, the more we, again, if I could use the expression, lust after divine things, not after earthly things, the more that we, we lust after eterni- eternal life, not temporal life, the more that we lust after communion with the Lord in this life and not just a social fellowship with other humans, the more that we lust after these things, the more we prepare ourselves for that moment in which the Lord will grant us something that even the, the angels desire to look into, that even the angels were not given. And this is something that might astound us, that we have been given privileges above the angels. Um, I think I said to you before that there are two, th- St. Faustina, the Polish nun, said that there are two things if the angels could sort of envy us, if the angels were capable of envying us, what would they be envying us for? She said two things, the ability to suffer out of love and the Eucharist. Those are two things that the angels cannot partake of. They cannot suffer to show their love and they cannot partake of the Eucharist. So we see that there are many things that have been granted to us that have been not granted to the angels. And this is, this is the joy that Christ experiences. He experiences the joy when we value, when we value and we continue to long after these things, not just the temporal. God is, of course, a generous and loving father. He wants to give us the joys of our heart in this world. He wants to give us our successes and our, our, our health, and he wants to give us a prosperous family life. He wants to offer us all those things. But as we're going to see, all of these things should just point us to the true joy. Again, don't rejoice that you have these gifts or these talents or even the possibility of doing miracles, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. And they're written in heaven because you accepted, you accepted this this revelation of my father about me. You have accepted with childlike faith to hear my word and to keep it. You have accepted me into your life as king and, and as Lord and master. And this is what rejoices the heart of the Lord. And so in this life then, as Christians, we have to find, we have to, we have to experience and live that sort of dual reality of, of joy and pain. And this is, again, something that 
is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is something that comes not by searching and, and, and seeking in, in a worldly sense and trying to understand in a rational way. How is it that we can be at the same time suffering and in pain and full of joy, full of peace? This is, this is the, the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who grants us both the ability to suffer in this world, which is a reality that will not be taken away, and at the same time to experience that um, uh, heavenly joy. And both of them are marks of a genuine Christian life. We are not to seek just happiness apart from entering into the pain of this world. And at the same time, the pain of this world should not suffocate our joy and our happiness. Um, one of the spiritual fathers says there is a relationship between sadness and lukewarmness, between sadness and egoism, between sadness and loneliness. So somebody who lives in a sort of constant sadness, unable to experience the Christian joy that has been given to us, right, is, is a danger in the spiritual life. Again, a Christian who doesn't radiate joy because of his love for God or her love for God needs to examine their spiritual life more closely, needs to understand the root of what is preventing that joy from flourishing in their life. Even though, again, many of us in different ways suffer, nonetheless, it is a reality that joy and suffering go together in the Christian life and the Christian experience. We, we, sh we, we can never be deprived of that joy regardless of, and we see this, of course, in the experience of the martyrs and many of the saints who were deprived of many, many things in life. And so, again, the joys of natural life are given to us as sort of um, pointers to the heavenly joys. Christ himself speaks about the joy of the sower and, and reaping what he sows, the joy of a man who finds a treasure in the field, the joy of a shepherd who discovers his lost sheep, a joy of being invited to a great banquet and a great celebration, the joy of marriage, the joy of a father who receives back his wayward son, the joy of a widow who recovers her lost coin, and so on. All of these are examples that the Lord gives us as real joys in the earthly experience, but he uses all of them as a sort of board by which we launch up into heaven with. We don't remain in those joys. Those aren't the joys that are, are the joys that the Lord wants to give us in permanence, but he wants those joys just to point us to the real joys, the joys of, again, having our names written in heaven and eternal life. So two things, and we'll just with each of these two things, we'll say a story about living in joy. First of all, joy comes as a gift from God uh, out of his love and his fatherhood, as we saw, not because we're worthy of it, not because we earn it, not because in any, in any sense we can lose it because of even our sins and our weaknesses. Joy is our inheritance. Peace is our inheritance from God. And nothing can take that away from us. So anxi anxiety about our spiritual life, about our worthiness, about our success in our spiritual endeavors is never a reason for us to lose our joy. But the only thing that matters is that joy is based on that longing for eternal things, that longing for heavenly things, that longing for communion with God above our longing and our lust for the things of the world. 
Teresa of Avila, the famous Spanish mystic nun who was a mother to hundreds and hundreds of other nuns, she said, a sad nun is a bad nun. A sad nun is a bad nun. I am more afraid, she said, of one unhappy sister than a crowd of evil spirits. So such is, is how the saints speak about the importance of joy. So the, the story is about a parable, an Indian parable. The Indian parable say, says that a villager um, came upon a wandering hermit, an old man who was sort of a wandering hermit. And the villager said, I can't believe this. And the old man said, what is it that you can't believe? So the villager said, well, I had a dream about you last night. I dreamt that the Lord said to me, tomorrow morning you will leave the village around 11 o'clock and you will run into this wandering old man. And here you are, I've met you. And so the old man says to the villager, he says, and what else did he say to you in your dream? And the villager replied, he said to me, if the man gives you a precious stone that he has, you will become the richest man in the whole world. Would you give me this stone? So the old man rummages through his knapsack and retrieves an object. Would this be the stone that you are talking about? The old man asked, handing it to the villager. The villager could not believe his eyes. It was the largest diamond in the world. He held the diamond in his hands and he asked, could I have this? The old man said to him, yes, of course, take it. I found it near the river and you are welcome to it. The villager took the diamond and he went to sit under a tree in the outskirts of the village where he clutched the diamond very closely in his hand and to his heart and he was full of great joy. But the villager sat there all day clutching the diamond to his heart, full of joy that he had become the richest man in the world. And he kept thinking and thinking throughout the day about what had happened. And toward the evening, he went down to the river where he found the old man again. And he gave him back the diamond. And he said to the old man, could you do me a favor? And the old man said to him, sure, what is it? So he said, could you give me the inner riches that makes it possible for you so easily to give away this thing which would have made you the richest man in the world? Could you give me the inner riches that makes it possible for you to give away that which would have made you the richest man in the world? So the Lord says what? Where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. The second one is about joy coming from abandonment. When we live our life abandoned to the will of God and to his providence at every moment and remove from our lives all fear and all anxiety and all control over every aspect of our lives, the fruit of that abandonment is joy. When I can live in the present moment and receive whatever God gives me at this very moment, the pleasant and the unpleasant, the joyful and the sad, the, uh, the pleasurable and the painful, when I can receive from him at every moment and say this is the very best thing because it comes from the will of God, from the hand of God, then the fruit of this abandonment is joy. So the story is about St. Francis of Assisi, the great uh, mystic of the 13th century from Assisi. And he was walking with his disciple, Brother Leo, 
and they were going on a very, very cold day to, um, to a church called St. Mary of the Angels, where there were some other brethren that were living there. And so they are walking in this very, very cold, on this very, very cold day together, and they're hungry. And Brother Leo is walking a little bit ahead of St. Francis. So St. Francis calls out and he says, Brother Leo, he says, if God desired that the Franciscans, that is the order that St. Francis established, the monastic order that he established, if God desired that the Franciscans should serve as a great example of holiness to all the peoples of the land, write this down, that would not be perfect joy. And then they kept walking. And a little bit later in the journey, St. Francis called out and he said, Brother Leo, he says, if we could make the lame walk, if we could straighten the crooked, if we could chase away demons, if we could give sight to the blind and speech to the dumb, and even if we could raise the dead after four days, write this down and carefully note this would not be perfect joy. Again, they continued and he said to him, Brother Leo, if we could speak every language, know everything about science, explain all the scriptures, if we could predict the future and reveal the secrets of every soul, write this down and note carefully, this would not be perfect joy. So after a while, Brother Leo turned and he said, Father Francis, I pray, tell me, what is perfect joy? So St. Francis answered and said, if we were, were, arrive at our destination, and if we are drenched in the rain and trembling with cold, covered in mud and exhausted from hunger, and if we knock on the convent gate, and if we are not recognized by the doorman, by the porter, and if he tells us that we are imposters who seek to deceive the world and steal from the poor, and if he refuses to open the gate, and if he leaves us outside exposed to the rain and snow, suffering from cold and hunger, then if we embrace the injustice, cruelty, and contempt with patience, without complaining, and if we believe in faith, love, and humility that the porter knew us but was told by God to reject us, then, dear Brother Leo, write down and carefully note, this is perfect joy. But St. Francis wasn't finished. He said, if urged by cold and hunger, we again knock again on the door, and if we again call to the porter, and if we beg him and plead with him with many tears to open the gate and to give us shelter out of the mercy and love of God, and if he returns more anger towards us than ever and calls us annoying rascals and beats us with a knotted stick, and if he throws us to the ground, rolls us in the snow and beats us again with a knotted stick, and if we bear these injuries with patience without complaining, and if we think about the sufferings of our blessed crucified Lord, then most beloved brother Leo, write down and note carefully, this is perfect joy. So finally, St. Francis, he said, Brother Leo, please listen to me. Above all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Christ Jesus gives to his friends is the grace to overcome oneself, to accept willingly out of love for him all contempt, all discomfort, all injury, and all suffering. But in the cross of afflictions and sufferings, we truly can glory because as St. Paul says again, may I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. So perfect joy then comes to us first by longing for heavenly and not earthly things, 
by communion with God and not communion with creatures. And secondly, by total abandonment to the will of God in all things, accepting everything from his hand with patience, with endurance, without complaining, and out of love for him. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who today rejoiced in the spirit at his apostles' return from their mission trip, also rejoice in the spirit at our willingness to long for those heavenly things and to entrust our lives to him. And to him be all glory now and forever and unto the ages of ages. Amen.